0: So as was stated earlier, our our lead pastor Steve is in Dubai preaching, so this gives us an opportunity to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago in the book of Habakkuk. We started this three-part series, uh, it's the www.god series, where we're wrestling with God, waiting on God, and then that's going to lead to worshiping God. And so we're going to pick up back where we left off in Habakkuk. And so this this series of wrestling God, waiting on God, and worshiping God takes us through a journey of the life of one of the prophets, the 12 minor prophets in uh, the Old Testament. And the prophet Habakkuk was living in a time after King Solomon had died. Um, the, The nation of Israel was divided into two parts. And so we had Israel, and then we had the southern part of Judah, and that's where Habakkuk lived. And so Judah um, and the king and the people of Judah had come to experience this roller coaster ride of kings. There were good, righteous kings, and then there are also times of really bad, wicked, and uh, corrupt kings. And so, what had happened? was is that, that the people of God, um, there was this immense downfall and rebellion against God and his word. And so this brought a lot of distress on the prophet Habakkuk. He, he couldn't believe what was going on around him. He was distressed by, by the negativity surrounding him. But not only was he distressed about the people and his people that were turning away from God, he was troubled with God. Because He knew God was perfect and holy and just and righteous, and he couldn't grasp how a loving, perfect, just, holy God could allow such evil and wickedness and unfairness and injustice um, run rampant in in this nation. And so um, what we learned was that the prophet Habakkuk developed this crisis of belief where he knew what, how, who God was, but it was so different from um, what he saw in the nation. And so many of us have experienced times where we also face a crisis of belief. We know God is good and loving and just. We read it in his word, but yet it's different from what we experience and what we see in life. So if God is so good, perfect, holy, and just if this is true about God, then why does my spouse have cancer? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why am I experiencing difficulty with with my job? Why am I struggling to to provide for my family and feed my family? Why are politicians taking advantage of, of, of their people? Why am I being persecuted? God, if you are who you say you are, then why aren't you doing anything about this? Where are you, God? And so we learn from Habakkuk that to find this answer, we must embrace God. And Habakkuk, the name Habakkuk literally means to wrestle or to embrace God, to cling on to God. But oftentimes we find ourselves ignoring reality when we face this crisis of belief. And so instead of embracing God, we find ourselves pulling back, drawing away from God. Or more dangerously, we turn from God and say, you know what, God, if, if this is who, who you are and this is what it means to follow you, I don't want any part of it, so I don't need you, God. But most times as Christians, when we face these trials, we face these struggles, it gets a little uncomfortable. We kind of just pull away from God. We're, we're kind of scared. If it costs us too much, if there's too much pain, then we draw ourselves away from God and, and in those times we ended up missing out on what God wants to do to us or in us. And so we just say, you know what? I'll kind of figure my own way around this problem, Lord. I'll, I'll look for positive uh, self-improvement books or, or whatever it may be uh, to find the answer to my solution when we know and we see with Habakkuk that in those times we need to face God and bring our hard questions to him. It's okay to ask him difficult questions. He's a big God and he can handle it. So when you're facing cancer or a loss of a loved one, when you're frustrated with work issues, or if you're, you're, you're having a difficulty raising your children, or if your marriage is falling apart, and you just can't understand why this is happening to you, we learned and we need to know that we need to wrestle with God, to Habakkuk God. Remember the story of Jacob wrestling with God in the middle of the night for hours, God, God and Jacob were just in this battle. And God was like, okay, Jacob, it's time to to give up, all right? And Jacob was like, no, God, I am not going to quit wrestling with you. I'm not going to stop asking you hard questions. I'm not going to stop embracing you until you bless me. So do something. Bless me, God. And God blessed Jacob. And we're going to see today that God blesses Habakkuk as he continues to wrestle and embrace God in the difficult times. And he promises to bless us and give us more joy than ever before when we continue to wrestle with God during times when, when life seems unfair or God seems unfair. So last time we left off with Habakkuk questioning how long was going to, God was going to allow injustice and unfairness to, to run uh, in, in Judah. Um, and then how long would it be until the Chaldeans would rise up against them? And how long would it be until God saved the righteous. So we begin with verse one of chapter two. Habakkuk is saying, How long, God, will you allow this continue? And so chapter two of Habakkuk, verse one, says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to wait on you, God. You say that you're doing something so incredible. You say that you're moving and you're hearing me and you're answering all my prayers. Uh, I don't see it, but I'm going to wait on you and I'm going to look out to see what it is that you're doing. Because Habakkuk knew God would answer his question. So Habakkuk chose to wait on God. So chapter one, we learned how to wrestle with God and now we're going to see what it means to wait on God. So the first question we ask for ourselves is, what does it mean to wait on God? Or what does it mean to wait in general? That's awkward, right? It's 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 awkward <laughs> to wait. I don't know if it's more awkward for you or for me, but it's it's awkward to wait, right? Like how many of you like to wait? How many how many of you are just naturally patient people? Like you look forward to going to to Dubai airport and standing in an immigration line, right? For a couple hours during midday. That's that's, that's something that you look forward to. I'm, I'm glad that we can all be honest with ourselves that, you know what, we are just naturally impatient and have a hard time waiting. From early on, we are trained to expect instant gratification. I think about Weston, our, our eight-month-old, and how quickly he can go from being angry to happy and happy to angry, all based upon if he gets what he wants, when he wants it. If he gets his way right right away, right? And so we are trained from very early on to expect uh, instant gratification. It's in our sinful nature. And so when we throw up quick prayers to God and we offer up our supplications and make our requests made known to him, it's in our nature to expect God to answer immediately how we want it, right? Appropriately to our desires, the problem with that is that God is not Burger King, okay? You can't have it your way, right? And thankfully for us, God is not Burger King, but he's the sovereign king, and his way is always better than our way, and that's because he's Yahweh, right? <laughs> Man, write that down. So, <laughs> look, and sometimes that means we have to wait, um, even when God gives us a promise because his plan will always come at the right time according to his perfect will. And so we wait. So what does it mean to wait on God? First, waiting is time-sensitive. We allow time to pass until we uh, see the fulfillness of God or f- fulfill, he fulfills his promises. Time-sensitive. Think about some of the examples in the Bible of people who waited on God and waited on God to fulfill his promise that he, is, he's give, he gave them. And so what about Abraham, right? God gave Abraham a promise that he was going to be the father of, of many nations. Um, they didn't see it. Him and Abraham and Sarah couldn't understand how this could be since she was barren. Um, but between God giving them a promise that they were going to have a child and be, between that and when Isaac was born... Does anybody know how long had passed between those two promises or that promise? 25 years. 25 years Abraham and Sarah waited for God to fulfill that promise. What about Moses and the Israelites? How long did it take between the promise of God until they reached the promised land? 40 years they waited for God to fulfill that promise right? What about Joseph? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was in slavery for for 13 years, then spent or 11 years, and spent two more years in prison. And then it was many, many years after that until the promise of him uh, becoming second in charge or second in command in all of Egypt. So uh, Joseph waited. What about Jesus? How long did Jesus wait until he started his earthly ministry? 30 years. Like, I'm 31, and I think that's a pretty long time, right? Like, I can't, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of ancient, even at 31. But 30 years Jesus waited. Habakkuk, how long did God allow the injustice to continue but on before the Chaldeans came and destroyed Judah? Anywhere from 15 to 40 years. Then it was another 60 to 70 years until God Uh, God fulfilled the promise of destroying the Chaldeans and bringing the woes upon them. So how about you? How long have you been waiting on God to answer your prayers? How long have you been struggling and, and wrestling with God? Why won't you hear me? Why won't you answer me? Why won't you fulfill the promise that you have given me? I know many of you are hurting and struggling and burdened in this waiting period. Asking God, when are you going to hear me? I don't understand, God. Life isn't fair. God, you don't seem fair. I want to encourage you with what we learned last time from from Habakkuk chapter 1. As Habakkuk's asking these questions, Where are you, God? Why could you allow this to happen? And God answers him in Habakkuk 1 verse 5 and says, Look out among the nations, wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. So be encouraged by that. God hears your prayers and he is doing something so incredible, so astonishing, so astounding that you wouldn't believe it even if he he told you. So now today I want to encourage us with the answer God gives Habakkuk in verses 2 and 3 of our text. God, how long will it be that you allow this to happen? And God hears Habakkuk, and he answers Habakkuk. In verse 2 and 3, he says, write this vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. My friends, remember this. God's delays are not God's denials. God is not necessarily saying no to you. He's saying, wait, wait, I've got something better for you. I've got something so, so astonishing, so incredible, you wouldn't believe it, but just wait for it. Because if, if, if I were to give you this now, you would have less joy than if you were to wait on me. And so God promises us, he, he, he tells us to wait because he has something better for us. Just wait. It's coming. Mark my words. It's going to happen. If you wait for it, son, if you wait for it, daughter, I will give you more joy and more pleasure than you would get if I answered you now. Know that waiting on God's mean, God means God is going to deliver at the perfect time for us. You can't speed God's timing up and nobody can slow it down because God is in control. There is an appointed time that God has ordained for each of us, and that should comfort us, because we know that God is in complete control. God's delays are not God's denials. So we have time-sensitive waiting, where we are delaying action until a particular time, and then we have active waiting. It's what we do while we are waiting. We're just not sitting around waiting for God, doing nothing, and putting our hands in our pockets. Okay, God, answer. No, we're active waiting. There's a a translation for waiting in the Hebrew that says, or it's an active waiting, it's a verb. So how do we wait on God? Think about a time when you went to a restaurant that had good service, okay? And and for this example, there are waiters and waitresses. God loves women Um, in Christ. I, I love women. Women are good. And so for this example, though, we're going to use waiters, Um, just to keep it consistent, but think about a waiter at a good restaurant where there was good service. Did the waiter just sit back and, and wait until you finished to clear your tables off? No, he was active. He was actively serving you. Any decent waiter is active in their service. If they're trained well, they're constantly doing three things, I believe three things, that we can learn to do as we're waiting on the Lord or as we're waiting on God. Number one, waiters observe. They're constantly looking around and surveying their tables that they're, that they're uh, in charge of and looking to see if this person needs a refill, looking to see if, if this person is satisfied with their food. Maybe they are, so maybe we should go bring them or ask them if they want some dessert or, or whatever it may be. They're observing and they're taking notice of what's going on at their tables. Second thing they do is they serve. They go refill the drinks. They bring the food. Okay, they clean the table. They serve. And then waiters reserve. They they keep the knowledge they have received from a guest and use it for their future purpose. So waiters observe, serve, and reserve. So how do we wait on God? Number one, we observe. We reflect on what God is doing around us and in us, and we listen to see what he is saying through his word and his spirit as we pray to him. Let's read verse 1 again. I will take stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. You see, Habakkuk had a good relationship with the Father. He didn't just do all the talking, all the complaining, all the the crying out, all the all the um, uh, dare I say complaining? I think it is did complaining and asking and seeking, like we can do a lot of times. A lot of times it's just kind of a, a one way path where we're 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 doing all the talking. But he knew Habakkuk knew that God was going to answer them, so he looked out, he uh, was waiting, he was observing to see what God would say to him, and God did answer him. What did God say to Habakkuk? Verse 2. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Fortunately for us, we are the recipients of this command that God has given Habakkuk to, to write the vision, to set it to set it clear on, on the tablets, to make it plain on tablets. And as well with, with the New Testament authors and the, uh, the other Old Testament authors, we are the recipients of this. And so... God's vision and his promises have already been written for us in his word. So his promises are clear. We just need to take them to the bank and cash them in. Verse 3 says, God's vision, his, which means his promise, hastens to the end. It will not lie, it will surely come. We know that God's word is true, and you can guarantee whatever God promises, it will happen. So we must run with his word. But we can't do that when we don't take the time to observe what's going on around us and what God is speaking to us through His Word. All of us are running, though. Many are just running in the wrong direction with the wrong tools. We live in a fast-paced world with so much trying to capture our attention. We are saturated with our careers, with bringing our kids to programs, to afternoon brunches, to hobbies, to shopping, to social media, to sports events. We are consumed with, with all of these things, and it captures our attention. And what that does is it, it causes us to lose our ability to observe. We, we kind of are focused on ourself and our own pleasure, and so we can't see what's going on around us. And so we accumulate this tunnel vision towards God. And we put God in a box until we can bring him out on Friday mornings or whenever we think that we need him again. Now don't get me wrong, none of these things are bad in themselves. God has given them to us or all of them to us for our enjoyment. But we have to ask ourselves, does it limit our observation To what God is doing around us and trying to do in us? Does it limit or even eliminate the time you could have listening to what God has to say in his word? Does it limit your time in the word and in prayer? I'll be the first one to confess that I listen a lot less and observe a lot less than I should. Now, well, not that I should, but because I don't want to get legalistic, but I mean, this is God we're talking about. The, the God, the creator of the universe, wants to speak directly to me, and he desires to speak directly to you. So we need to learn how to observe and observe what God is doing and reflect on what he is doing and communicating through his word and prayer. So stop running after the wrong things with the wrong tools and start running after God with the word of God. Observe, church. Habakkuk observed to see what God was going to say, and God spoke to him. And God will speak to us when we observe him and his word. Secondly, how do we wait on God? We serve. Look at verses 4 and 5. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine, this can also be translated to wealth, is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects people as his own peoples. So we serve God by humbling ourselves. The first verse says, behold, his soul is puffed up. So this is talking about the, a pride issue. Our, our pridefulness puffs us up and that causes us to not be upright with God. And so we serve God by humbling ourselves and presenting ourselves to God for his purposes so our soul does not become puffed up. Serving God is humbling ourselves and letting go of our pride and arrogance and wealth and greed and saying, my time is in your hands, Lord. Take this life, take this ransom life, use it any way you choose. Take my, my resources, take my energy, take my time. God, they're yours. Use it for your glory because I'm going to serve you instead of myself. You know what? It's, it's not about having it my way, God. It's about having it your way because you're Yahweh. Serving God is loving him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, And loving our neighbor as much as, if not more, than ourselves. Because the Bible also says, consider others more significant than yourself. So I want you to know that God created you not for you, not for your glory, not for your pleasure. First, he created you for his pleasure, for his glory, for his purposes. And then also for the purpose and glory of of serving others. And so God created us to serve God and to serve others. What does that look like? Serving is saying, I really need sleep, but this sister needs prayer, so I'm going to go pray for her. Serving is saying, that's a really long drive to go pick him up, but he needs to hear the gospel, and so I'm going to bring him to home group, or I'm going to bring him to the Friday gathering, or I'm going to go pray for him and talk to him. Serving is saying, I really want to go spend my money for this event, or to buy this and that. But God, it'll, I want to invest in your kingdom. It'll go much further. And so I'm not saying that God won't say to, to buy that. I won't say that God says never sleep. But I do want to say that as we observe, we learn how to serve best. His soul's puffed up, meaning he's prideful. Pride is having pleasure in yourself. Arrogance is believing you are more important than you really are. Arrogance is saying someone else can serve, not me. When we live for ourselves, seeking to satisfy the desires of our flesh, seeking for our will to be done in our way and in our time, our soul becomes puffed up and it's not upright within us. On the contrary, God's word tells us the righteous, those who have good standing before God, are those who live by faith. They are those who say, I must decrease in order for you to to increase. I must die to myself in order to gain. I must give up my life so I can have yours. God, I must serve you and others and not myself, because here's the impending danger, and we're going to get to it in just a second. Here's the impending danger for those who live for themselves. Judgment. Judgment is coming for those whose soul is puffed up. Judgment was coming for the nation of Judah, those who didn't live by faith. Judgment was coming for the Chaldeans as they were raised up to overtake Judah. And judgment is coming for those who aren't living by faith now and who are living for themselves. And we see that in the next verses. So let's read the set of woes God tells Habakkuk are coming for the Chaldeans. There are six woes and we'll start in verse 6. So here's God's promise that he is going to destroy sin and specifically he's going to destroy and judge the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Verse six, shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be the spoil for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork responds. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? We'll skip 14, come back in a little bit. Verse 15, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. "'Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. "'The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, "'and utter shame will come upon your glory. "'The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, "'as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. "'For the blood of man and violence to the earth, "'to cities and all who dwell in them. "'What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? "'A metal image, a teacher of lies?' For its maker trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it all. Or at all in it. So... These woes were specifically for the Chaldeans, but God makes it very clear in Scripture that judgment awaits those who don't live by faith. One scripture in particular is from Hebrews 10. You don't have to turn there today or right now. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but let's start with verse 30, uh, 36. Hebrews 10:36: "For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for." Yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Does that sound familiar? The writer of Hebrews is quoting Habakkuk 2. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, or but if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." So it's clear here that the judgment is coming for those who don't have faith, who aren't living by faith, who aren't living to to serve God and others. It says that those people shrink back and they will be destroyed. But the good news in all of this is that those who live by faith, God will take pleasure in. And so as, as we have faith and preserve our souls, faith results in salvation so back to verse 14, we skipped in Habakkuk 2. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is there water in the sea? Yes. There is water in the sea. And as much as there is water in the sea, surely as there is water in the sea, God will surely fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, which means he will fill the earth with, With his presence. Those who live by faith will surely be filled with the presence of God. If you haven't been living by faith, though, if you've been living to serve yourself, if you haven't been observing and serving God and serving others, there's good news for you. You can completely be forgiven as you trust in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and ask him to help you wait on God, and and he will do that for you. How do we wait? We observe and we serve. And there's one more component to learn from a good waiter. How do we wait on God? We observe, we serve, and we reserve. We take the knowledge we receive and save it for future use. That means we live by faith. What is faith? It is trusting all that God promises to be to us in Christ Jesus. The kind of faith Habakkuk described... And, and the kind of faith that was promoted in the New Testament is continuing trust in God even when life is hard. Even in the darkest days, we trust in God's promises. It's being diagnosed with cancer and trusting the Lord when he says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and and not faint. It's striving for a promotion or struggling to find work and trusting God when he says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches of Jesus Christ. It's living in times of fear and trusting God. Say, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Understand this, though, that God's promises may not come tomorrow. They may not even come in your lifetime. But God's promises will be fulfilled at the appointed time. It will come, so wait for it. Reserve God's promises. Habakkuk, God's promises, and wait until he blesses you because he promises to bless you when you trust in him during the times of unfairness and injustice. So we observe, we serve, we reserve. What are our next steps? What should we do with this? As good waiters, those who wait on the Lord, number one, we should observe. Spend prayerful time in God's word and listen. Get alone from everything else, all the distractions. Take time in your day, in your week to sit before God and read his word, and pray over it, and then wait, and wait, and wait until God answers. He promises that he will always answer, and study his word, and he he will continue to speak to us. Number two, we serve. Live for God, and his glory, and his church, and not yourselves. Commit to the local church, which is an expression of the body of Christ. Whether it's Grace Church you call home or another, commit to the church and serve God there by serving others. As I said earlier, count others more significant than yourselves. Sacrifice your time and energy for the sake of building others up. Number three, reserve. Memorize and pray over God's promises. One of the strengths of home groups is that we encourage one another with the promises of God. We we strengthen each other's faith by sharing what God promises he will do for us in every situation. So remember, memorize, pray over God's promises. It is important to know God's promises and reserve them for future use to give us hope for the glory that awaits us in Christ. So we observe, we serve, and we reserve as we wait for God. So as the worship team comes back up, I want to end with our final verse. Habakkuk 2, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. As you lift up your voices in singing this song, let your hearts be silent and still before the Lord. He is sovereign over all. He is on his throne, and in his temple. And whatever happens, he is still worthy to be praised. He is awesome in nature. He is doing an incredible work in your life. Even though you can't see it, wrestle with God, ask him tough questions, wait on God to answer by doing those three things, observe, serve, and reserve. And God will show you work that he's doing, and you will be astonished. You will be astounded. You will just wonder and, and be in awe of how awesome our God is. And so, take the time to do this today. Take the time to wrestle and wait on God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are awesome in nature. That you are holy, you are sovereign over all God you are seated at or seated on your throne in the holy temple and God we thank you that you speak to us idols cannot speak they cannot teach but you God you 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 speak you speak to us a holy God creator of all the universe that that puts the planets in orbit that says the water you can only come this far. This same God, you God, creator of the universe, creator of all, desire to to speak to us, to see our lives transformed so that we enjoy you and put put our hope in you, Father, knowing that you are the only one who can satisfy us, you are the only one who can set us free from the unfairness, injustice, wickedness of life. For it is you alone, God. So help us, Lord, with your spirit. Help us to stop running after things that, that don't matter, that won't give us life, that won't give us hope, and help us to fix our eyes on the cross. Gotta pray for every individual in here, Lord, if, if they are struggling to wait, Lord. Give them hope. Help them to see what you are doing in their life and what you are doing around them, Lord. Help them to press into your word, God. Even when times of trials come and they don't understand exactly what's going on, when they're pained, God, when they're hurting, God, be their comfort, Lord, as they they read your word and open it and let life just breathe into their existence, Lord. God, if, if, if we're not waiting, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that, that we are impatient and we need you, Lord, in order to be patient and to wait on you, God, knowing that whatever you have for us, whether it come tomorrow, whether it come 10 years, or whenever it comes, when we behold the glory of Jesus Christ in heaven, help us to, to fix our eyes and, and put our hope in the return of Jesus and Jesus in our life, God. Help us to see that and repent of that and daily come to you in your word and in prayer and listen and be still and wait and wrestle and wait and listen and wrestle and wait and listen. And God, you promise to meet us there. So God, I pray that you would meet every soul here today, Lord. Maybe they're not trusting in Jesus at all, God. I pray that they would see the glory of Jesus, that, they, that you would uncover their eyes, that you would remove the blindness, and they would behold your glory, Father. Come now as we worship. Let our hearts be still before you. Let us just stand in awe of the wonderful creator, wonderful God you are. In Jesus' name, amen.